What's going on, guys? This is Murph. This week on Studio Talk's Unsigned Podcast, we have Colette Spencer of Apple Music. Colette is a producer for Apple Music and Beats One, and in her spare time, she runs her own company, Geezer Media. The goal of Geezer, as she describes, is to connect up-and-coming artists with local venues and businesses. In addition to talking about that, she also offers a lot of great tips when it comes to building your own following, which she points out is the best way to get noticed by streaming companies. So, let's get into it. If you're looking for more information on Studio Talk and the tools we offer to help artists grow their careers, check us out at studiotalk.co. Hi, I'm Colette. I'm a producer. I work in streaming and radio for a fruit-based company. Colette, appreciate you being here today. Um, can't wait to jump in and talk to you about all of the great things that you have going on. Uh, but first and foremost, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself for the, the people that don't know uh, your background. Just uh, if you tell us how you got your start in music, that'd be great. Sure. I've been pursuing music, I guess, since I was 16 years old. I, um, I saw this really great episode of True Life uh, that's showing on TV. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know if you remember it. Yep. It was this one episode about a drug addict, and he was getting clean and going to this audio engineering, uh, these classes in um, LA. And I just remember seeing how happy he was in that transition. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And wait, you could do music as a career and work in that. And then um, my sister even said, cause I was always the person that was, you know, swapping CDs with people and making them, you know, burning them CDs at the time. She yeah. said, well, you could do A&R or something like that. And then, um, in high school, I just went up to one of the music teachers. He taught these audio engineering classes. And I said to him, I was 16 years old. It was the beginning of my junior year. And I said, hey, I want to be involved in any club that you have. He had like this little mini record label at the high school and radio station, which is an online station. And I said, um, I know I'm a 16-year-old girl, but I want you to take me under your wing. Teach me everything you know. That guy, his name was Mike Peacock. He was like one of the best teachers ever. He lives in Vegas now. But he did that for two years and it was great. He taught me logic. He taught me like wow. basic engineering techniques. Nice. Then I found my way in college. I went to Hofstra University on Long Island. And I ended up joining the radio station just because that was an easy foot in the Next door. step, yeah. Yeah, and it, radio was never something that I actively wanted to pursue as a kid. But it just kind of made sense and those steps were there because Hofstra has a really good program. And I was going to school for communications. And then that was just kind of the path I started to go down. And then I ended up where I am now for the past four years and it's it's been really awesome so you didn't make any of your own music and did you ever or did you and did you ever want to be on that side or no, I am um, strictly behind the scenes I was one of those kids that fell victim to I played sports and yep. my sister was the dancer and the singer my parents wanted us to enroll in band so in the fourth grade in our district you would do a string instrument it was either that or the recorder i'm like no way <laughs> and to be difficult i chose the cello because uh, i didn't okay, want to yeah. i felt like the violin was basic yeah. and i didn't think that through because you had to like lug the cello yeah, on the bus. yeah that's like the <laughs> it's a very large instrument so i yeah. did that for a year and then uh after that I, I played alto sax for a couple of years then i quit because it just i hated the teacher yeah and i played a little bit of guitar and i Never kept up with that. So I yeah. have a very neglected guitar yep. in my bedroom right now. Oh, there now. you go. <laughs> but I just, I think uh, I've always loved music. Yep. So I like to tell people my opinion as a fan or as a listener. And I, I think that's where I serve best rather than me trying to actively pursue my own musical career. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was the same way as well. Just like grew, grew up playing sports. And for me, it was really the guys behind the scenes that I looked up to. Like mm -hmm. growing up, it was like Dame Dash and Lee Cohen. Like those were the guys that I aspired to be. And it was like, 
you know, my uh, senior college or senior high school when it was like time to, oh, where are you going to go to school and, and what are you going to ro- enroll in and major in? Like, I was like, oh, music business. Like, I want to be in, behind mm-hmm. the scenes. But then it was funny when I got to the, the first school that I went to, it was Manhattanville College. They they had the music business program, but they were making you take theory classes, and I was like, "Yo, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to learn how that to play was the problem a I ran too. It was either instrument, man. theory, or it'd be uh, it would start to heavily go into the engineering, yeah, like actual exactly. and stuff. Yeah, and and then I ultimately transferred to a SUNY Purchase. Shout out to those guys. They had an awesome arts management course that was like, "Oh, this is how you fundraise," and mm-hmm. like really just talking about. Um, it, it was a lot more traditional arts, but it this it was all applicable to music as well so um definitely glad i made that that jump but yeah similar boat of like taking classes that were like oh this is nothing to do with what i want to do right but cool very cool been at the the fruit-based company that mm -hmm. that you do your day job at for the last (laughs) couple of years of all the stuff that you've done there you know what's your what's your most favorite piece of content that you've put out so far or the best guest or the best interview that you've been a part of that you like cherish and you're gonna keep that one for a while um, we had for one of the shows, Blondie come up, Debbie Harry was there and I didn't realize that, um, she was there in the green room yet. So, and that at the time, the previous studio we were at, the only bathroom upstairs in the studios was in the green room right? and that's where all the food was. So people would go in and out and it was early in the morning. A lot of the stuff we would do was later in the day and no one made it a point to say, oh, Colette, don't go in there. <laughs> Debbie Harry's in there. So I walk in and I was going to use the bathroom and the way the room's configured, like to open the door to the bathroom, you have to basically walk right past Yay. the couch. So I walk in and I just see her. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. And then I just like pretended to grab a <laughs> bottle of water. Everyone would do this little shift move yeah. if guests were so in there. Because like, oh, there's yep. no window into it. It's just this wooden door right. and you couldn't tell. Um, and I heard that was crazy. I'm like, oh, I just like walked in on Debbie Harry and she asked me how I was doing and it was cool. <laughs> but, um, that was one of those crazy moments, but we had Diddy up one time and it was his birthday and I oh, wow. just started, I might've been there like six weeks. Right. I was 22 years old being like, I don't know what the hell I'm yeah. doing. <laughs> um, and we had a cake and we sang for him and stuff, but he came up with, I swear to God, like 30 people. Oh, it man. was just wall to wall and people and you'd kind of shuffle through them, uh, like your hands in the air just to make <laughs> any little bit of space as yeah. you're going. Um, that was pretty crazy, but Overall, my favorite stuff, and then I started to apply it to my outside life, was I love any of the lower-tier content we do with kind of up-and-coming artists or local artists because it's a major platform. Streaming in general is just really overwhelming. So I think anything that curators or producers or people on the other side of it, if they can pull in the little guy and create a story for them in some sort of a campaign, um, and that's not always numbers driven which is really nice sometimes it i mean from my experience a lot of it is all the people we work with are huge music fans is and that's what makes work exciting so we can have someone that has i mean i think we featured people with i don't know maybe like 200 followers yeah and then we've done the same segment with someone that might have like you know fifty thousand followers it just depends on like the content they're putting out right but at the end of the day if it's a good song we're going to play it. That's what you're championing. You know, yep. and that's that's my favorite stuff because people are so excited to get that really random email from someone, you know, and, and you see that email address and you get really excited, whether it's any side of the industry. For you know? sure. Absolutely. I mean, that that's just like, that lets that, 
that person know that they're on to something, mm-hmm. like something's starting to work. And, right. and yeah, it's, I mean, it's great to highlight that. And I think one of the, one of the things that's awesome about the company that you work for is that like their whole streaming business is it's there for the right reasons. It's not the economic driver for the company. It's right. like, Hey, we want to be here, mm-hmm. you know, and like we can afford to be here and like support people that have been supporting our company for the last 30 years, you know? So I think, um, you know, what you guys do in that regard is, is super huge, you know, because it, it's just straight up based off the music. It's like, yo, is this hot? And do I like it? And mm-hmm. like, what's the story behind it? And like, can we help these people out? I think that, um, I think that's the right way to do it. That's, that's a great way to go about it. Right. I think less and less too, you see, cause within the first few years of streaming, you had your Drake and even I think the equivalent to Drake right now would be Billie Eilish. Yep. But with streaming, I think you're starting to see not only within the first few years, it was, you know, the chance the rapper thing was a big, that was big yeah. headline, yep. you know, releasing that album. And then you had stuff with Drake and then, the issue with the word exclusive, that was a really hot topic issue within streaming, um, which people have started to get away from. Um, and I, I think each streaming platform is starting to kind of carve out their own lane a little bit, or they find artists and they're supporting people in different ways. It doesn't feel as black and white as it was before. Right. It's like, okay, we need to grab the biggest artists right now and we need to have their content. Yeah, it's it's graduating a little bit. Yeah. It's getting a little bit older and they're starting mm-hmm. to figure out different ways where they can highlight people. And I think there's more genuine campaigns coming out. Right. Like, I, I think, uh, I know Apple and Spotify and YouTube, they all have these programs yeah, where it's kind of basically yep. your up and coming artist, which I think is wonderful to see. I think MTV has that now, which for fans and listeners, that's easier to digest because they're giving you content and basically they're holding your hand for a month being like, Hey, this is a really cool artist. Here's why, here's their story. Here's, you know, they're giving you the facts and mm-hmm. it's like, here's the base. Here's like the first entry point into like working with these people and, and exactly. uh, or excuse me, listening to these people. Um, and they, they lay it out for you. And then it's like, Hey, the music has to stand on its own two feet. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, providing that, that opportunity is it's big. I mean, and then that's, to be honest, like that's how you get the next generation in any generation. That's how you get the next group of kids to listen to your streaming platform mm-hmm. or whatever it is. It's like you got to hit them with some new stuff too. Yeah. I think even people in their, you know, late teens and 20s because, I mean, I'm not 13 years old anymore, so I don't know how kids are finding music and digesting or whatever. Like I came up in the MySpace era. Yeah. Uh, sites like MySpace and purevolume.com and like YouTube was just starting to become a thing and iTunes was really great and crucial but um those those were easy ways for me to find music on my own but I think now streaming it's just so much content coming yeah. at you non-stop that you kind of do need these campaigns to be like hey over here just to like educate this yeah yep because yep. I, I don't think I mean and the numbers don't lie either which I hate even saying a phrase like that, but you have these major artists that people aren't sticking with their albums anymore. Right. You have these token songs like Old Town Road or How Bodak Yellow Was where you might have like one major hit and people will listen to that over and over again, but are they jumping into the album? And I think Cardi was kind of an interesting test with that too because there were multiple hits off of that. Yeah. And I mean, the album did well, but in five years are people going to listen to that album yeah it's the real question that will be that that and is it the doesn't question. mean that it's a bad album it's just that people 
they don't really explore back like they used to. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely uh, different times. It'll be interesting to see um, the, because so much content is coming out, like what happens in the next couple of years to, mm-hmm. to younger generations who are like, this is, this is the only thing they know. Like our generation, we know different forms of music and we know how to go back and listen to stuff. Mm-hmm. Does this new generation have that in them or is it like they're just going to shows? You know what I mean? That's how they engage. So kind of move, shifting gears just a little bit um you know one of the things that you were talking about in there was um you know the fact that you really appreciate the campaigns that are going on the ones that are like genuine and real so how do you approach uh creating content is there like because that's obviously kind of the first step right you have to strategize and and figure out what you want to do for whatever campaign mm-hmm. whether it's stuff that you're working on at your day-to-day or things that you do um outside of that you know is is there a kind of pattern that, or excuse me, not a pattern, is there um, a strategy that you use to create content or do you just have like a Google Doc that's just like, hey, this is my idea sheet and I just like jot down any ideas that that come to me and, and then, you know, look at that every month and then kind of shave it down and, and start to build on things? I mean, personal, in my personal life and when I work with artists outside of my day job, I don't really... I could do a much better job of strategizing. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting going from, because my day job, I think, is a marker of success. And if people know what it is, they think, oh, well, she's doing well, which is very kind of them to think. And yeah, I mean, I do have a nice job <laughs> in the music industry, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's still a job. Right. But doing stuff outside of work, like the stuff I do with Geezer Media, which is basically just, I'm trying to create this local community and kind of encourage people to support up and coming artists or support your friend that has a song that's actually good, but you might not because they're your friend. You know, I'm trying to shift. Change that thought process. Yeah, that yeah. thought process and that focus. But it's been very interesting for me because all the advice that I give people, it's really hard to do yourself. And I, <laughs> I find myself in that predicament where, it, like you said, you know, you should sit down and have brainstorming sessions. I typically, I mean, I spend a lot of time commuting on the train try to do a lot of thinking there I might just jot stuff down on like the notes on my phone or even if I'm at work I might write something down but I think the way I've always been is I don't have these massive lists or brainstorming sessions also because I'm realistic that the work I do outside of my job is primarily just me so I try to set little goals um, even something that I have recently started doing because I found that Posting consistent content, and plenty of artists complain about this, is kind of difficult. You know, it's hard to keep up with because you have your regular social media for yourself, and then if you want to do an outside project, you need to keep that alive because you need to give people a reason to keep sticking with you and to keep following you and staying engaged. So something I've recently been doing, which is super easy, and I mean, hopefully people like it. I've been doing a song of the day. It's just literally on the Instagram story, and it could be old or new and when I say old if I'm supporting like up-and-coming artists I mean old is like a year or something right. or even if they haven't released something in two years and I think it's really good and it didn't get it to shine I'll chuck it up there yep um so that's easy for them to see here two seconds of it and then I, I put them on a playlist too I would have loved to have had this thought in January where I could have 365 songs at the end of the year mm-hmm. that's not gonna happen but at least I can provide you with a hundred and something um for, for me, and I, I think 
a lot of people could use this advice. It's just set really tangible goals. Right. Because if you don't, you're going to get overwhelmed and you're going to quit. Because it's so constant. And just like you said, it, it's hard. You get caught up in the matrix of like, oh, man, I got to be posting because these other people are posting. Yeah. It's like you got to understand to take a step back, evaluate like what it is you're really trying to do mm -hmm. with your social media page, what you want out of the page, um, and then set those small goals like, okay, cool, man. I'm going to just make one post a day. Like whatever it is, I'm just going to do one post a day. And then that that helps you get those little tiny wins so that builds up your confidence to then make you understand like, okay, I can do this. And mm -hmm. then you can start to test things and see what works and what doesn't work. And then that will help guide and hopefully help guide and shift you into being like, oh, when I post this type of thing at this particular uh, time of day, it really pops. Mm -hmm. And then that's when you start to get a little bit deeper into the strategy and then understand it better. And then, um, you know, really get the bang for your buck because when you get burnt out, like you were talking about is when you're posting every single day and you don't know why you're doing it, right. you know? And when you're young and you're just starting out, you think that's the way, oh man, I just got to get, get them up, get them up, get them up. It's like, yeah, but like, is that the best use of your time? Mm -mm. You know, like, should you be doing that? And so I think Twitter is a great example and Instagram's starting to get to this. It's so funny because it's like for a lot of people. This is before you even go there. That's my very next question. I was getting right into that. I was going to say, do you think artists should focus um, on creating content for one site or do you think that they should spread themselves all over the place? I think that's where you're going. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. Uh, it, I was going to talk about the difference in each platform yeah. and how there's a different cadence to it right. and there's a different culture and all that. But um Instagram right now for musicians is king it just because it's visual and you can interact and basically it whether it was good or bad it took two apps and put it into one the thing that I'm starting to see on Instagram though is it's starting to get or it's been like how kind of the decline in Facebook because it's owned by Facebook where they're you know kind of holding your content hostage and yeah that's you know, there it's not it's no longer um you know, uh, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for? It's no longer like real time. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, it hasn't been that way for, for a couple of years, but it's almost getting like worse. Yeah. I know? think it's very severe at this yeah. point. Um, to the point where I'm getting stories, that's yeah. why they're important because at least store, well, stories will be based on who you interact with, yep. but they're like little pieces of crack where you're going to keep clicking and clicking right. and clicking until you go through everything. And depending on how many people you follow, you could do that throughout your day. You That could be, you could spend hours on that. And I'm sure a lot of people spend way too much time doing that, but yeah. <laughs> right. Which then begs the question, is that good content if I'm able to click through that much? And what am I getting out of right. that as a user? Right. And then with posts, I always wonder if people, how far they're scrolling, mm -hmm. you know, because that can start to be tedious too, even though there can be a lot of good stuff within one post. I think if you can work Instagram really well, I also love Twitter too. I still love yeah, Twitter. Yeah, I, I was gonna say, I think it's it's about understanding, and this is where you were going, I, I think it's about understanding what each platform does mm -hmm. and then deciding whether or not you wanna be a part of that. Right. You know, I, I think with, the, with Instagram, going back to the posts real quick is like if you're going to make a post 
the post should be like the permanent thing that you want like mm -hmm. on your wall. So if someone clicks on your profile, they can see this yep. particular thing. And it's like, if you have a show announcement, like that should just be stories. You know, it's like, oh, if this is coming up on this particular day, like that should just be your story. Mm -hmm. um, that's a good way to do it. And then I think where you're going with Twitter, well, I'll, I'll, I'll let you speak. What, what, do you, what do you like about Twitter? Where, how do you think that works for people? Twitter's oversaturated at this point, but I still love it because it's your real-time thoughts and... I don't know if it was a blessing or a curse to change in the character count. Yeah. <laughs> I think sometimes it's good and sometimes I think this is too much. I don't right. need to read all this. But for the sake of being able to, you know, properly articulate a thought, yeah. I, it can be helpful. But And I think, to be honest, I think they did it just because they had to do something different. Yeah. They were like, oh, Still this would be. Still wait on that edit button. <laughs> yeah. <you know>? Right. <laughs> Still wait. Yeah, Twitter. right. <laughs> Who are some up and coming artists that you think are doing a great job um, with their social media, number one, and then number two, with getting their music playlisted, and why do you think it's working? Do you think those two things are working hand in hand? Someone who's doing a great job of getting their stuff playlisted and then actually getting played on this ready? Yeah. Terrestrial radio. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That real yeah, fossil. Yeah. Um, no, I still love terrestrial radio. I still li I have a car, so I'll still listen to that. And yep. then that's my background, so I still try to support it. Um, but this guy, Tyler Boone, who he is kind of a rock blues country guy and he actually owns his own bourbon company called oh, wow. Boone's Bourbon. Um, nice. that's been blowing up a lot, but he does a good job. He kind of has his own side company called Artist Reach where their goal is to get people playlisted. And I think they do a really good job of getting people on kind of the random low tier ones. Right. Um, I'm not sure how high up they're. Uh, their reach and the capacity goes but for him he does a great job of networking with people um, I've actually never met him in person I know him through another band that I'm friends with and then we've just connected on social media and stayed right. in touch and he does a good job of reaching out to people establishing a genuine connection sharing his music and even for me I didn't have the correct outlet for it but I'm happy to share his music if I think it's good or I'm happy to support it myself. But he does a good job of getting featured on a couple of playlists. And I think his style is very unique. He he has pretty decent numbers, which honestly for me as a listener and a fan, I don't care. I don't right. care how many listeners you have. Right. You just want to know like I just want to know good? that it's good. Yeah. Like that's my main concern. But he also, he gets played on terrestrial radio sometimes more down south. And so he, uh, he'll post stuff where he's monitoring those charts. And I think even just being aware that that's potentially an option, you know, college radio is always an option that people forget about now. Those kids are dying for content. Yeah. Um, because that's how they learn. You know, exactly. you yep. something like a podcast or that's what I did in college. I would do, you know, different interviews or support different artists. So I think if artists want to get media trained and they want to establish that connection where it's kind of low stakes, College radio is a beautiful way to go yeah. because the student sitting in front of you is looking for that same thing. So it's a really good learning opportunity for, for both, both people. Yeah. Yep. And then it also just sounds good. Whether the, you know, listener inter interaction is high or not, I just think it's good to get in that room and to start to understand that culture. Low, low, uh, low stakes is, is, I think, is a great way to put it because it's just like that's the practice 
mm-hmm. field right yeah. there. It's like just get get your reps in and like talking to somebody else who's going to be talking to you about your music. Somebody right. that's like might not be good at interviewing and like just being comfortable in the room so that like when you start to level up and get to these different rooms you've been in there, you're more comfortable and that mm-hmm. helps you in the long run yeah. secure those those playlists. What about um, anybody you, you love that's on the come up that's doing like a great job at social media? We were talking about Cypress Hill on, on kind of a major level. Is there anybody else that's doing something like super unique on social that you think is cool? I mean, I think your playlist today thing is is cool and unique. Is there anybody doing something like that that you've been following? Um, I enjoy seeing artists that kind of push their boundaries or comfort zones on social media. Um, so this one artist, Illicit Ghost, who is super up and coming, but she has a good management team and um, like a really supported uh, supportive community around her in the New York music scene. But she is like a pop singer-songwriter on the darker side, like Fiona Apple, Lord, Lana Del Rey, that kind of thing. Right. Um, she plays violin. She's super talented, but she's kind of shy. So just watching her have to get comfortable with social media over the past, I think, year. Yeah, she released her first single last fall, and she's released, I think she's on her fourth single, Technically fifth. She did a remix of one song. Gotcha. But her current single is probably the most radio-friendly or commercially-friendly, and it sounds really good. Um, But for her, she's done Q&As. She'll go live, and I think it works well for her because as a listener and a fan, you can tell that she's shy, but that she's able to open herself up. And you're kind of going on the journey with her. You're like, oh, wow, okay, this is getting better. Like, I would love to know and, like, kind of crack this egg a little bit now. And it just feels really vulnerable and intimate. Right, Sometimes it feels very real, and you're like, does. oh, I can relate Sometimes to Sometimes it almost feels awkward, even though she is a friend of mine. But so for me being on the end, I'm, I'm like, okay, that was kind of awkward, but that was good. So if I didn't know who you were, I'd be like, wow, like, She's really talented and she cares right. that she's willing to put herself out there like that versus a super polished, I hate seeing that when it's so polished that it's boring, especially on... Right, because there's no realness and it's just like, oh, I know you cleaned it up for right. this because you think this is how I want mm-hmm. to see you, not necessarily like this is how you feel or this is the way mm-hmm. you you want to present yourself. You know, you have to sift through all the BS yep. online. So if you can find an artist that's being genuine, I think that's great. I actually love when artists are kind of uncomfortable with social media and they have to learn how to do it. And then they start to get good at it. I think that's great because I think their followers help them navigate that a lot. And of course their team as well. But it's nice to know when it's actually that person right? and not their management. Because even for top tier artists, I hate seeing stuff that's so curated with um, yeah, it's almost too much because it's yeah. like, yo, you spent a lot of time. Yeah, and I know for a fact it. that you would not have every single detail correct in this tweet or, you know, this announcement and stuff, which is fine, but I do appreciate when they kind of tweak the language so at least it feels like the Yeah, audience. it's a little bit, it, it has a specific tone of voice, right. you know, and it's not like, oh, you're reading an ad that is on the mm-hmm. thing. It's like, ah, you know, yeah, it, it kind of sucks when they miss that out. All right, so I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about Geezer. Um, you briefly mentioned them earlier. That's your own personal company where you're trying to help um, you know, other uh, smaller artists, other local businesses, and, and try and uh, find a way to bridge the gap to kind of highlight both of them. So, so talk a little bit about the events that you've done so far and then maybe some uh, advice that you'd have for artists and managers that are looking to, to book their own shows mm-hmm. and how they should approach working with venues um, and things like that. 
Um, I think, well, just to lay out what the premise of it is, it's, like you said, to just kind of, like, bridge artists together. But I think with streaming, it's hard right now to make a genuine connection with people, and especially for, you know, artists that are just trying to break through all the clutter. They don't really have that backing community. And um, where music is so accessible now, I think live performance is crucial. And artists like Fetty Wap's a good example. He was huge. Like he so, owned so massive. Yeah, he did. And then I remember, I think 2016, I went to uh, Firefly in Delaware. Yep. And we ended up swinging by his performance. I think he was 45 minutes late. His DJ played most of the songs and he might have performed like, I think he performed for maybe like 15 minutes. Wow. And it was not good. Wow. And yeah. at that time, everyone was still, oh my God, Fetty Wap's here, even though he, was, he, he hadn't had so hot. a hit since the fall or whatever. Right. But he was still coasting off it. So that's a great example of you had these great songs or very successful songs and then your live performance sucks and you disappointed people that either passively went by your set because like oh what's happening or came to check you out specifically right. and spent their hard-earned money mm -hmm. yeah so with artists that are up and coming i want to encourage them because your live performance is where you're going to make all your money down the road Absolutely. you're not making money selling albums anymore even for people that still make cds don't <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, just, I just... It's a waste of time and it, money, and it's... Yeah, it's the hassle of, like, just straight up getting them produced. Like, mm -hmm. that's what I'm talking about. You're spending time on something that, like, people aren't going to necessarily buy. There's no need for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you feel really strongly about that, I would recommend, even though it's expensive, if you feel you have a really good work of art or that fans have been receptive to it, go back and maybe do, like, an exclusive vinyl. Right, it's people like will pay for that because it's just... It's um, at that point... You know, like an artifact and something they yeah, can hold on to. It's tangible. And I think it's different, too, because it's bigger, to mm -hmm. be honest. It's like, oh, this is – it's a thing. Right. I can hang the poster on my wall. Right. Like, there's got to be a reason. And, yeah, the exclusive is, is always a good way to go about that. Right. So that is probably the only realm where people are still willing to pay for your music. Besides that, I – actually, Mike Peacock, my old teacher, he said – he used to say this a long time ago – and I wasn't quite sure if I agreed with him back then, but he said, your music is your business card in, in the age that we were going into. Because that's when SoundCloud was starting to be a thing and, you know, uh, different online radio services and, and different ways to get your music out there. Yep. And he said, your music is your business card because that's how you're going to introduce yourself to people. And then after that, you need to find a way to capitalize off of that, whether it's shows or merch or whatever. Um, and I've always agreed with that. So that's why for me, I try to put on quarterly uh, these showcases where it's maybe, I, I found three artists is a good number. Four starts to get a little overwhelming on the time. I don't like to cut people short. Um, that, the amount of people, if there's a band, it's like there's, right, there's a lot. Right, it's a lot of yeah, gear to move in and out. And then also for me financially, because I'm putting them on sometimes out of pocket. So if I'm charging you $10 at the door, you know, people are willing to do that. But if I have four different acts to pay, then I'm definitely going to take a hit. Yep. Um, it's for me, I'm lucky if I'm breaking even sometimes because it's just people aren't willing to necessarily pay for stuff. So for even for me, putting on these shows and promoting them and doing my own thing, that's where I have to go back and strategize being like, what's working? What's not working? Right. Why aren't, why aren't these people that I was banking on coming not here? 
And then how do these people find out about this show? And then, um, and then just trying to optimize from there. Right, because it, it's been, yeah. you know, it hasn't even been a year of me doing shows quite. I used to intern at a venue when I was um, younger in college on Long Island, and then I did radio promotions and stuff and different events. So that's where that background comes. But even for me, having the background I do, no matter what, it's hard to get people to commit to something. But so for artists, I always encourage them to have a really good live show. Yep. Um, because, and that's what's been nice about the shows I've been putting on, is that people come up to me after, and they're like, oh my God, they were so good. And actually, I've had this with a number of artists I've heavily supported. The way I get sucked in is through your live performance. I'm like, these guys are so good, you have to go see them. Like, I saw them at Mercury Lounge, or I saw them at Bowery Electric, or, you know, some warehouse, <laughs> wherever. Yeah, they were just, they were dope. And they were great. And then I'll, I'll tell people to listen or I'll bring them to the show. They go back and listen to their recordings and they're disappointed. Mm. And I've had that with people that are incredibly talented. And sometimes I listen to their recordings and it's not that they're bad, but they're not great. And not as good as they can be, we'll say. Yes. <laughs> and then people wonder why, why isn't my music getting featured? Why aren't people being more receptive? And it's because you have to think of it like you're listening to this, you know, one station or one playlist. If it's, if there's a noticeable difference to your ears from one song to another, like sonically, not in terms of genre or anything, right. then you have a problem. So for people to focus on stuff, it's having a good sounding song, like a well-produced song. And you know, and you can network and ask around. You don't have to pay arm, an arm and a leg for that. And then also your live shows are super important. Then with those two things, that's how you then are able to tie it back into uh, working with a venue, right? Because you're you have something to show them. Hey, here's great sound. Mm -hmm. Hey, we'll come and, uh, you know, do a, a rehearsal or excuse me, like a tryout, um, and play our music for you on whatever off night. Um, so I think there's, there's a lot that people can pull away from that and start to use for themselves. And then like try and f I guess the other thing too, is like to try and find other people such as yourself that are like putting on these types of events mm -hmm. that want to, I mean, cause there's a ton of people out there that are like doing this to support local music specifically right. wherever they are. So it's really just about kind of getting out there. And like you said, like network and, and go to events and ask around, Hey, do you know so-and-so who's doing events and, and kind of get on from, from there. I mean, is that ultimately where you want to get it to so that like you just have a bunch of people that are kind of hitting you up and you, you get to, you get the luxury of having to sit back and pick from like some mm -hmm. really great up and coming bands that you can help put on. Yeah. I mean, that'd be great. That's always been like supporting local music has been something I've always cared about since I was a teenager and kind of like a big reason why I've liked music so much. And I think, um, creating these communities in which people start to support, local music more is great. But local music in the sense that support your community around you, go to local venues, go support local businesses, help out people you might've gone to college with or people that are in your neighborhood or a friend of a friend, like just go to those shows. If you're gonna go out to a bar and get a drink, cool. You could also do the same exact thing at a venue and you might have to pay a cover, but you're supporting someone's passion and then you're a part of a tight-knit community. And I think for anyone in music, it is so crucial for you to get your ass out there and Absolutely. do things. You know, that for me, that's how I met so many people. Um, someone that I hired last year was one of my really good friends who I met at a networking event at Ludlow House in New York City. Um, and I got introduced to those events. So they're called the New York Imagination Society. And I found out about them through my friend Chris, 
who is a singer-songwriter who he'll busk sometimes in the subway. And I was in line at McDonald's at Penn Station one <laughs> night after going out to get drinks with coworkers. Yeah. And I heard this guy playing this cover. I'm like, wow, that sounds really good. And I was about to miss my train. And I ran out to him and I said, hey, you're really good. I'd love to help you. Here's my card. It was my old job. Right. My old radio job. But um, so then he ended up, I was going to a show the next night. It, he thought I was a crazy person. I'm like, email me. I swear to God, you're really good. I'd love to help you. And uh, I was going to a show the following night. And then uh, we emailed. We swapped numbers. He ended up coming to that show with me. He met some of my friends. Then my friends listened to his music. Uh, I introduced him to the band I was supporting that night. And now uh, that guy, Chris, Chris Zurich, he's one of my really good friends. And he has been huge in, like, bringing me in further into the local scene in New York City. Right. Um, and those are the things you have to do. And I know not everyone that's going to listen to this has access to a major city, which is fine. But what people used to do is they would do shows in their basement or th- these small kind of platforms where they can just keep swapping info and ideas and artists that they really like with each other. I think there was a ton of gems in there. So definitely appreciate the time. I think the big button right there at the end is really just about getting out and talking to people and going to shows and and getting a feel for what other people are doing and seeing what's working and where you might be able to fit in. So I think super clutch. Uh, As we wrap up here, um, you know, where can people get at you? Um, I mean, you had mentioned Geezer on on social. So if you want to shout all your ats out, go for it. Sure, this is the part that I love, (laughs) being a producer, so it's fun to be on the other side. There you go. Um, All the Geezer Media info, we have uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, It's just at Geezer Media NY. Yeah, and then, I mean, my personal socials, they used to be uh, all the same thing, and then I got hacked uh, right before Christmas last year. (laughs) Uh, So my Twitter is at Colette Spencer. And um, my Instagram used to be that, and now it's at Colette Spencer 12. All right, well, I appreciate the time once again, and uh, definitely looking forward to seeing what you know you do with your day to day at the fruit based company and, and also with Geezer. <laughs> I think um, you know you got a lot of dope stuff coming, so look forward to doing the next one of these interviews in a, in a couple of months or a year when you got some other shit popping too. So, yeah, appreciate sure. it once again. Cool. All right, thanks.